This morning, we are finishing up our summer series. We call them the Psalms of Summer, summer kind of our mixtape, our favorites. Now, here's the thing, though. Uh, there's 150 psalms. We've hit, I think, eight of them. So how many of you, we actually talked about your favorite psalm? Good, three of you. All right? So here's the thing. Others of you have favorite psalms, which is great. So here's, here's the thing. Why don't you put together a little something? You don't have to do 30 minutes. You could do two minutes or three minutes. Shoot a video. Put it on. Talk psalms. My favorite psalm. How is a minister? Let that be a testimony. That'd be a great thing. Just make sure you, uh, you know, add us here at the church, and we'll share it too. But that would be awesome. But today, I want to share one of my favorites, which is Psalm 121. And it goes back a long way with me. Um, so my first recollection of Psalm 121 was I was a sophomore in high school. So, I mean, like that was like 12, 15 years ago, right? Um, <clears throat> but I was a sophomore in high school, and I was in theater. I bet you could have never guessed that, right? But I was a thespian, right? Do we have any other thespians here? Aquil, your part there? Okay, there you go. And we're doing, as a school project, our, 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 our fall drama was we were doing the story called The Diary of Anne Frank. Maybe you've seen it on TV. It's the story about the, uh, the Jewish family that was hidden uh, up in an attic over a, um, a printing company. Uh, the owner hit them up there, and so they had to be really quiet during the day, but at night they could kind of do life, and, but ultimately they were found and taken to the, the prison camps, and only one of them actually survived. And uh, it's, the, it's the story of this, this little girl, and I, I played Peter the Boyfriend. That's who I got to be, right? And so it was, it was a great fun thing. Now here... <laughs> I. They came to me during the intermission once, and they said, hey, we just overheard some ladies talking that they're just loving the show, and they think it's so cute that they actually got a little Jewish boy playing the part of Peter. <laughs> so I guess the hair, the yarmulke, maybe the, I don't know, but anyway, I was, I was, that's what I was. And so the final scene before the intermission we called it the Hanukkah scene because we were celebrating Hanukkah together. And it's the scene where actually somebody breaks into the printing press room downstairs. They hear something upstairs and it's ultimately kind of what uh, leads to them being captured. And so we're, we're sitting around and we've got all got our yarmulkes on and we're, we're sipping tea. And the father reads... Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. So this is a, what is called, a, is a psalm of ascent. 
It, uh, from Psalm 120 through 134, these 15 psalms are psalms of ascent. They're all sometimes known as psalms of degrees. And the idea here is got to know a little bit about the topography of Israel. But whenever you would travel to Israel for one of their festivals, which remember they were to go at least three times a year, you have to travel up. So one of the great things, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you kind of learn the topography and remind you that we've got a trip going in, in October. We're kind of getting to that cutoff if you're interested. But I thought I'd put this here. So if you look here on the uh, kind of the west side, this is the Mediterranean Sea where Tel Aviv is, Caesarea. So this, by definition, is sea level. Jerusalem sits up here at 2,500 feet. Then as you go further east, you go down into the Jordan Valley. Right there is Jericho. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea, of course, lowest place on earth. This is Israel. So even if you're way up here in Dan, the very northern parts of Israel, you would travel down, but now you would travel up. If you come up from the Negev, you travel up. You can almost see this little ravine. You can almost see it better here. Thought I'd give you one in Hebrew for those of you that are experts here. But there, there's this ravine that you, as you're going from the west to the east, you would travel up to Jerusalem. So it's a song of ascent. You are traveling up. Well, when they're coming for the feast, they're not by themselves. They're traveling together in family groups, caravans, you know, towns and cities that are coming together. And so they sing these songs of God's praise as they're getting closer to you. Do you imagine what it would be like your first time going up to Jerusalem to the temple? To be able to celebrate Passover or the uh, feast of booze, or uh, the uh, fe the festival uh, Pentecost. I mean, it would be it would be something. And so they would sing these songs. And somebody has said, really, the ascent is what's happening in your heart as you're getting ready for this. And this is what Psalm 121 is. And it's a psalm with five incredible promises. And, and I can't do this justice without telling you about a hero of mine to whom I'm thoroughly indebted to for this. A man by the name of Ray Harrison. And you maybe have not heard his name, but he, he was a great man of God, a hero, a, a bit of a, a friend and a mentor. He, he was in Youth for Christ for much of his life and ministry, was over all of Asia. But he started seeing people in these, world, in these countries who were wonderful Christian leaders. And he began a ministry called International Needs Network that networked them with people here in America and Australia and Canada who could support their ministries. In fact, we support a number of their workers in uh, Romania, in Egypt. Anyway, Ray, Ray was a godly man. He's, he actually spoke at Desert Springs at least once or twice uh, before he's gone on to be with Jesus now. But he wrote a book on some of his favorite psalms and some of his thoughts on 121 have just made a significant impact on me. Five promises. The first one is found in verses one and two. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, folks, in this very divided, polarized 
nation culture we live in, I think something that we all can agree on is that sometimes in life you're going to face some trouble, right? You know, life happens. And whether it's, uh, you know, the aggravations of life, we got home from our long road trip and the one thing we wanted to do was to sleep in our own bed and, you know, our air conditioner failed. And so we had to sleep in the other bedroom, right? It's frustrating. Or have you ever uh, had uh, gone through maybe a surgery, a procedure, and, and, you know, that's bad enough. But then you try to deal with the whole insurance and making sure everybody gets paid. And what, what, a, what a mess, right? And you get four to five months down, and you think, man, finally, I think it's all done. And then a bill comes out of nowhere, right? And like, where did that thing come from, right? And I wasn't expecting it. How am I going to pay for it? Or we get into relational difficulties. Trials, difficulties are going to come. But the wonderful thing that we have who know Jesus is that we have hope. We have a helper. And it's the Lord. Now, one of the, one of the fun things that you kind of got to wrestle with is verse one. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? What does he mean by that? What does the psalmist say? Okay, so they're, they're ascending to, so are, are they looking up and thinking about Mount Moriah, the temple of the Lord, and that's where it's going to come from? Well, it could be, but one of the interesting things about Mount Moriah is it is not one of the tallest mountains there. There are a number of taller mountains around Jerusalem and around the temple site. In fact, I, I was going to put it up, but I knew I was going to be pressed for time today. But probably the most well-known picture of the temple site where you see the Dome of the Rock, you've probably seen it with the Gold Dome, the Alaska Mosque that is there. You're looking down because it's taken from the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is taller. Most of them are. So I don't really think that's it. The others have thought, well, you know, it'll be, you know, if you're in trouble, it'll be your friend or maybe the Calvary, you know, coming over the mountain. And that could be, but that's also where the enemies came from. Uh, what does he mean, I will lift up my eyes to the mountain, but then the question of where does my help come from? So let me ask you this question. What as we read the Old Testament, what was Israel's biggest problem? What was their biggest Achilles heel? Wasn't it that they often turned from serving the Lord and following the Lord to following idols, right? The Baal, the Asher, the, the gods of the Sidonians, right? That's, that's what they always got in trouble for. Well, where, where did they worship those false gods? On the top of the mountains, the tops of the hills. Let me give you a couple of scripture. First Kings 14, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done with the sins that they committed. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, ashram on every high hill and beneath every luxurious tree. In Second Chronicles is talking about the reign of, of, of Jehoram who was a very wicked king. He said, moreover, Jehoram made high places in the mountains of Judah, caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot. So I think what he's saying here is this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains, 
but is that where my help comes from? No, 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 no. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the mountain. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In fact, one of the interesting little thoughts is a lot of Bible scholars believe that these 15 Psalms of Ascent were actually written after the Babylonian captivity. You say, well, what does that have to do anything? Well, because of their wickedness, God took Israel into captivity to the Assyrians. Then he took Judah, Jerusalem, and Benjamin into captivity to the Babylonians because they worshiped false god. Manasseh offered his son. That was why. And he said, I'm going to break you of this. And what's interesting, from the time that God now brought them back under Cyrus through Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, to this day, Israel doesn't worship idols. They never have since that moment. God broke them of it. And there's the belief that the Psalms of Ascent were actually written after the Babylonian captivity. So it's the reminder that as we're marching in and all these high hills where false gods have been worshipped in the past, I will not, it's not where we're looking for our help, right? I'm not looking to the gods of this world. I'm not looking to the things of man. You know, you think about today when we're sad, when we're going through stress, the things that we look at to try to fix it, it's the, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and it's no, no, no. I will lift up my eyes. Is that where my help comes from? No! My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's an infinite resource of help here, right? Because he is the maker of heaven and earth. So a number of years ago, as we you know, taught evangelism, there was a group of Native American leaders who got together and said, listen, we want to teach our people to share their faith, and so we want to take what you're teaching and kind of culturalize it, right? And if you've ever taken the training that we do, one of the questions we talk about is, who is God? And we talk about who he is, that he's, he's loving, but he's also holy and just. Well, with the Native American uh, population, though, the problem is they have many gods, so when we talk about who God is, we kind of got to get to the God of gods. So how do you do that? And so as we kick that around, what they came back and said is, well, the God of gods is the creator God because everything else would have come from him. So the sun, the moon, if there's God of the sun or the God of the moon, it would have come from the one who created. So when we talked about who God is, we said the creator God. That's exactly what he is saying here. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Did my help come from there? No, my help comes from the Lord. And oh, by the way, he is the maker, the maker of the mountains. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Man, he has all, he, his resource is limitless. In fact, you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? Like, so if you went to Bible school or you went in Sunday school, you remember the story. It's out of Daniel. These three men that were t- Jews that were taken into captivity with Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, builds this huge statue, 90 feet tall, says when the music plays, you got to bow down and worship. Well, everybody else could do that, but not a Jew because there's only one God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down. So they bring him before Nebuchadnezzar. He's all ticked off, and yet they looked at him right in the face, and this is what they said. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Oh, by the way, he made fire. 
and he would deliver us out of your hand to O king. Now, by the way, this did not set well with Nebuchadnezzar. Actually ticked them off. He said, heat the furnace seven times what it normally is. It's so hot that the men who took and went to toss Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in died because of the heat. <laughs> but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, just a few verses later, Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I see four men loosed, walking about in the midst of the fire. Well, three went in, but there's four, right? The appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Why? He is the maker of heaven and earth. For our God is the God of all reason. I don't know what you're going through today, but he has the resource to meet the need that you have. Right? He is the creator of and maker of heaven and earth. That is who he is. He is the creator God. He has all the resource that we need. The second promise then is found in the first part of verse 3. He will not allow your foot to slip. He, he promises a safe pathway. Now, I have to be honest, I really struggle with using the word safe here. Because in America, American Christianity, when we think safe, we think free from harm to our physical self, right? If I am protected, God keeps me safe, I won't get sick, and, you know, nothing will go wrong with my body. And I, I just don't think that's the biblical perspective here. In fact, you'll, we'll get into this down in verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all evil. That's a spiritual thing. He will keep your soul. I think the heart of this is that this idea that he will not allow your foot to slip is that what he's going to do is he's going to guard your life in such a way. It's not like Every path you take is going to come up a bowl of cherries. It just means that as you go, that everything that you encounter, God can use in your life to teach you, to make you more like Jesus, right? So as we lean into him, he will guide our steps. It's kind of like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He'll keep your foot from slipping. One of the cool things about this is he doesn't just simply say you won't slip. He says that he personally will keep you from slipping. Couldn't help but think of Isaiah 41 where God says, do not fear for I am with you. Boy, what a wonderful promise, right? Don't fear because I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand, for I, the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand. I got a hold of you. That's the whole idea. He will not allow your foot to slip. So you and I lean into Jesus. And you think again of the imagery here. They're ascending. You know, if they're coming from Jericho, they're coming 3,400 feet up in 18 miles, man. It is steep. And, and the rocks can be loose. But you're, you're not going to slip. It's not that it's going to be easy. It's not that it's always going to be, you know, uh, this picnic. But your foot is not going to slip. I'm going to guide you. And folks, when, when we feel like we're stumbling, 
when we feel like maybe we're lost, lean into Jesus. Lean into Jesus. You know, honestly, I think if, if all of us were to be truthful, there are times when we've made decisions apart from the Lord. We haven't looked to him as our helper. And we've kind of made a mess of things. Would that be a fair ex- expression? Yeah, I think so. The beauty of the Lord is that in those moments when we've even made a mess of it, that if we will now turn to him, call upon him, lean upon him, he can even take those, that mess that we've made, and use it to help us become more like Jesus. It's the beauty of who he is, a safe pathway. The third thing is constant attention. Last part of verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Folks, I just want to remind you that our God never sleeps. He's, you've always got his attention. He doesn't get so distracted with what's going on in Washington or what's going on in a state audit or what's going on with COVID or what's going on with, you know, what's happening over in China this, or what's happening in the, you know, the uh, Olympics, that he loses track of you. He doesn't. He knows right where you are today. He knows exactly what's going on. In fact, I would tell you and I would argue with you that he is more aware of who you are and what you're going through than you are. He says he's got the very hair on your head numbered. Most of us don't. Jesus said, Little sparrow, sold for a penny. Not worth a whole lot, but one of those goes down. The father knows. He cares. And you're worth way more than the sparrow. He knows, he knows exactly what you're going. And because he knows, he's attentive. So when you call, he's going to listen. He's never distant. Now, sometimes we feel like he's distant, sometimes because of our own decisions. You know, have you ever had those moments you feel like your prayers don't go any farther in here? No, he's there. He listens. He hears. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 11? The disciples of Jesus said, Lord, teach us to pray. And as he's teaching them the the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer, whatever you want to call it, he tells them a parable about a man who had a friend who showed up late at night and he didn't have any food. So he went to his neighbor and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked and it's midnight. Say, hey, get up, get out of bed. I need three loaves of of bread. And it's a wonderful story. And and of course, some of it is, is always, you uh, you know, ask for a lot, right? He wasn't just asking for half a loaf to feed the guy tonight. He was asking for three loaves, right? He's asking for a lot. Do that. Be persistent. But here's the other truth is you can ask at any time. It's midnight. He's in bed. No, no, no. Our God does not sleep. He does not slumber. He's always with us. Constant attention. And now based upon that, there's 24-hour protection. The Lord is your keeper. Wow, what a beautiful promise. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So as you go about life, man, he is, he is looking over. He is he's giving you his favor. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Folks, if there's one thing I hope that you walk away from this thing with is understanding, you don't need to fear. 
You don't need to fear. You don't need to fear what tomorrow holds. You don't need to fear, you know, whatever next variant is coming out, right? Or monkeypox or whatever's next, right? Or, you know, where it's just he's got, you know, you could say he's got this. It's even better than that. He's got you. He's got you right there in the palm of his hand. And his promise is that he will protect you from all evil at all times. Now, again, does that mean that life's always going to go great, that, you know, we're never going to know disease? No, again, he's talking about our soul, the real us, right? This body is temporary. We've got to understand that this life is, is, is but a breath. The Bible tells us that over and over. That's why we live for the day we'll stand before Jesus. But here's the thing. His promise here is, is that because he guards us and he protects us, that whatever we go through, whatever he allows into our life, he can use it to make us more like Jesus. I mean, that's the heart of Romans 8. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, which is to be conformed to the image of his son. That even in those moments when I've made a mess of things, when I've stepped away from him, where, where I have let go of him, he, he doesn't let go of us. And if I'll turn and look to him for my help, his guarding of my soul can take even those pieces of brokenness and make them something beautiful. He's a God of redemption, right? In fact, one of the things that I think most of us have found is that typically it's in those biggest pieces of brokenness in our life that God ultimately not only gives us our best testimony, but also our best place to minister to others. Because he protects us from all evil. And he'll protect us from all evil all the way home. Uh, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now we think of death as evil. But he just said he's going to keep us from all evil. He's going to guard our soul. Psalm 23 is, okay, we walk through the valley, shadow of death. We're not going to fear the evil. Why? Because he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. You see, you know, Psalm, what is it? Uh, Psalm 110, I believe, verse 15 that says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because he understands that in that moment, we, you know, absent from the body to be present with the Lord. I want you to understand that, you know, I, I live every day expecting Jesus. You know, I, I'm going to live till Jesus comes back I, because I think he's going to. I mean, you, re, you read the Bible, you read Revelation, Daniel, Zechariah, you read Matthew, and you look at what's going on today, man. It just looks like it's all lined up, right? Today could be the day Jesus could return. Wouldn't it be cool these dark clouds split? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing, Right? We live that way, but we don't know. Jesus may not come back for another thousand years. Well, I'm not going to be here in a thousand years. Neither are you. But here's the thing. In that moment, there's, there's his protection. There's nothing to fear. 
because he's going to walk us all the way home. Uh, this week, Tammy and I in our Bible reading, oh, um, we're in 2 Timothy, great book. Last words of Paul, chapter 4, he knows he's going to die. You know, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Just incredible words, right? So he knows he's going to die. Uh, and historically, they're going to come and cut his head off, right? It's, it's not glorious way to go out. He didn't die of old age. But a few verses after saying all that, this is what he says, even knowing that the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Wait a minute, you're going to get your head cut off. Yeah. He will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. We have 24-hour protection. And the cool thing is, is this forever. He will guard us forever. Verse 8, and I have to finish. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time, today, and forever. Man, we can live in these promises, right? Because his promise is that he will watch as, as we look to him, that he will keep us, he will guard us, he will protect us. We're in the hollow of his hand. You think about forevermore. You think about that verse in Revelation 22. When we will see his face, his name will be written upon our forehead. We will be there in, the, in that great new city of Jerusalem where there will be no sun. There will be no need for light because the Lord God will be there and we will reign with him forever and ever. Folks, his, his, his care for us is eternal. And it begins the moment that we put our faith and trust in him. See, this is the key. This, this is, this is the, the heart of it. It is to everyone who has come by faith to Jesus. Because remember, he's not found on the high holy places of, of religion. It's in a personal relationship. Jesus came and died to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Then he rose from the dead and conquered death so that we could know him. And that's where it begins. It's not found in a church. It's not found in the march up to Jerusalem. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you've not come to believe in him or accept him, you can do it today, just right where you are. 